they tack a sheet up to the wall, they turn on the projector, and it is the raunchiest hardcore porn. And everybody sits around and watches it as if that's the Super Bowl, you know, cheering for, for different sides. Hello and welcome to Fantasy Friendship. I'm your host, Stephen Alonch, joined today by my pretty occasional co-host, Jake Anderson, and our lovely guest, Jay Schiffman. I, I am lovely. That's very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> I just sometimes adjectives don't come to my head in time. And the last time I did an introduction like that, I said lovely. So it just, it, it stuck again. Yeah, That's fine. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> lovely. Uh, I've never been introduced as lovely. That's very sweet of you. My, my go-to is always wonderful because it covers yeah. all yeah. ground. That's true. I probably should have. Yep. All I, right. I like wonderful. I use incredible. That's my, that's my go-to. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. I also go with venerable. Oh, wow. I can't spell that one. <laughs> <laughs> and Jay is the host of the choose your struggle podcast. Jay, do you want to tell us a little bit, a little bit about that podcast? Yeah. So, um, uh, I am a mental health and substance misuse and recovery speaker, coach and advocate and the host of my podcast, the Choose Your Struggle podcast, as you said. Uh, that podcast focuses on issues of mental health and substance misuse and recovery, as well as drug use. And, you know, with, with that topic, we're mostly focused on policy and the history of drug use in this country. It's something I've been very fascinated about all my life. I am a person in long-term recovery who has seen sort of the worst uh, with how this country handles people who struggle with substance misuse and drug use, period. And, and it's given me an insight that I am, am incredibly lucky to have being a guy who, who came from a lot of privilege and, you know, came from a really wealthy family to get this insight into, you know, how our country treats those who struggle. You know, it's a horrible thing to have to go, to, go through. And one of the reasons that I speak so often is I truly believe that having this platform that I do, both as a person who is getting a second chance in a life where most people don't even get there first, and being a person who was well known in the city I grew up in and, and now sort of uh, has created this, this um, community for myself. If I don't use that platform and that privilege, then I'm, I'm wasting it. So that is really my motivation every day is to make things better for those who are struggling and to help end the stigma around these topics, because it's very real and I lived it. I, I saw that on your background behind you, your end the stigma, got a hashtag for it. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about kind of why you picked that, what that means to you? Yeah, and thank you for, for giving me that opportunity. So, you know, the stigma around issues of substance misuse and, and, and mental health is incredibly real. I, I, you know, again, I lived this myself. And when I was at my worst, I went through experiences completely and totally alone that, I didn't need to, but I was so afraid of reaching out because of this stigma, this judgment that we've built up against people who struggle with these issues. And, and even more than that, when I got into recovery, I didn't start talking about this for a solid five years because I was terrified of admitting to people that I had, you know, quote unquote, failed so badly. And then I finally got over that and realized that I didn't fail. You know, the fact that I'm still here after multiple suicide attempts, after an overdose, after being struggling with addiction for over five years, that's an incredible victory. And to let my fear of what someone may think of me 
keep me from speaking out uh, was a giant waste. And so, you know, that's why I dedicate my entire life to this is that we need to normalize these these issues. We need to normalize struggle. We need to normalize these afflictions that so many people go through, especially during times of COVID. You know, normally that the estimation is that one in five people goes through an issue of substance misuse or mental health at any given time. During COVID, that estimation is one in two. And if people are afraid to even talk about these issues, think about how many people are never even seeking help because they're terrified of what someone may say. Yeah, it's it's cliche, but it's the it's okay not to be okay or to not hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. And that's a huge push right now in the movement is to make that sort of, you know, it's a cliche, but for a good reason, right? Yeah. We want that to be a hashtag is for people to make it normal to post their struggles, right? Because if you look at social media, you look at any of these ways that we put ourselves out there, it's only positive. And uh, in fact, with, with guys, I want to drop this knowledge on everyone I talked to. I read a study in uh, February, I think it was, about how the average guy and their their closest friends in the world, right? So you two talk about the same three issues. Do you guys want to guess what those what those issues are? Politics, sports, and work. You're close on one of them. So so sports. Sports yeah. is number one. Women is number two. Oh, okay. And media is still music, movies, that kind of stuff is number three. If you throw in food, it's like 99% of guy conversations around those four topics. So they, this story was mind-blowing to me. It talked about how they were interviewing these guys and like one dude was homeless and his best friends didn't know. Another one was divorced for two years and his friends didn't know. And it's because we as guys, this is what we talk about. We talk about girls. We talk about food. We we talk about you know sports that's that's pretty much it and so i am trying to normalize like having these real conversations so my best friends and i and they know i have a rule now we can talk about all those because i still love talking about sports i'm a big you know cincinnati reds fan and we we lost game one of the playoffs today which was heartbreaking um but I also then want to talk about something meaningful behind that, you know, and, and during when I read that my wife and I were going through a, a, a shitty patch and my, my never told my friends. And so I was like, Hey, I want to tell you guys about this. And then one of my buddies was like, Oh, you know, my girlfriend and I are going through something very similar. And it was a really beautiful conversation. We would never have had that if I hadn't gone like, Hey, we need to get past this. And that again is a choose your struggle podcast. Definitely right. give it a listen more important topic. This is usually a lighthearted podcast, but all of the things Jay just said are so important. I mean, I'm thinking about the conversations I have right now with my friends and that, yeah, the, that about sums up 99% of them. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're fun yeah. conversations, but if they're coming at the expense, you know, if you're not talking about these real things and you got to ask yourself, like, what am I afraid of? Are these relationships really as strong as they need to be if I don't feel that I can talk about these issues? And kind of uh, halfway ironically, our topic today is probably the peak of all of those issues, the Super Bowl, where yes. we talk about sports and food and occasionally women. So, uh, Yes, and, and women do yeah. play into this story, um, as, as the best <laughs> stories, you know, do. So for some context, right? Let's, let's set the scene here. Yeah. I moved to New York in the fall of 2013 from Cincinnati, Ohio. I had just broken up with uh, a, a longtime girlfriend. I was about two and a half, three years 
into recovery. And by the way, I should specify because this comes into play. I am in recovery, but I'm not sober. There, uh, those two things usually get squashed together, and it's not the case. There's a huge part of the community that is not sober but in recovery. So I don't, you know, I don't use the substances I struggled with, but I still, I have no problem drinking safely and all that kind of stuff. I not only I just broken up with a longtime girlfriend, but I also my first job out of college, right, was a nonprofit where I was hired to do their marketing and all that kind of stuff. And it and it tanked. It it actually failed, which is a thing that happens a lot in the nonprofit world, unfortunately. So I was out of a job. I'd just broken up with this girlfriend and I went, you know, if I'm ever gonna follow my dream of moving to New York and becoming a professional writer, now's clearly the time because I have nothing else going going for me at the moment. So I did that. I packed up my few belongings and moved to live on my brother's couch in Manhattan. He was also trying to be a writer, a screenwriter, very different. You know, I was going to write, you know, I was, I was a short story writer, a novel writer, that kind of stuff. We were together scraping by paying our, you know, this mortgage or this, this rent together. And luckily for us, my parents actually owned the the condo. So if the months that we were short, it was like basically IOUs were accepted, but my parents were not making any money off this thing while we were living there. So we were barely paying rent. I was selling keys on a street corner. That's That's how I was making money. There was a new technology in New York at the time where, you know, a lot of people live in these walk-up buildings. And if you get locked out, you're kind of shit out of luck. So you would come to these 7-Elevens where we had this technology to copy your key and they stored it on the cloud. So if you ever got locked out, you would come and enter your password and they print a new key for you, which is ingenious, right? I'm doing that to pay my bills. I also get a job as an editor and a food critic for a magazine called New York Minute. They are now an online only. They were transitioning at the time. So a little bit of print, a little bit of online. I'm doing those things. I'm also calling, cold calling for New York City Ballet, again, the nonprofit world. So I'm working like four jobs to, to keep the roof over my head while also trying to write my stuff on the side. I, I got another job. I turned the job at New York Minute into writing uh, and leading the sports reporting for a gay men's website called Guy Talk. And it's no longer in existence. It failed very quickly. But he hired me. And I, I was like, this wasn't some trickery. I kind of was like, hey, man, just to be clear, you know, I'm not, I'm not gay, right? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. That's fine. In fact, I want you to do sports. And I was like, okay, there's a joke in there somewhere. But uh, fine, I will, I will be your, your sports reporter. And just incredible timing for me. This was the year that the Super Bowl was in New York. This was a big deal that I all of a sudden got credentials. Now, I couldn't get into the game, obviously, but I did, I did get those credentials to get me into Super Bowl, Super Bowl Village. And, and, you know, they took over, a, you know, a huge section of Midtown Manhattan. And I get to walk around with these credentials on. I'm doing street reporting. So I'm asking people what they're, you know, what they think about the game, all this kind of fun stuff that I never would have gotten to do. And most of these people don't know that Guy Talk is a, is a gay men's website. They see Guy Talk and, they're, you know, you think it's whatever, <laughs> some, some guy's website. So, so I'm porting for them. But. The Super Bowl itself, obviously, I can't get into. And I've only been there for like four months now. I don't have a lot of friends. And so I can't like go to a, you know, a bar or something just to meet some buddies. So I go to my, one of my only friends. And he's a, he's a guy named David. We still talk on occasion. Now, David is... How happy is David going to be that you're telling this story? Uh, he, if he heard this, would laugh his ass off. David, okay. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me help you understand about David, right? <laughs> David is at the time was in his, I think, 60s. He was a big name 
in the punk scene in the 80s in, in the US. He is a British guy, but he was a uh, album designer. So in fact, I'll even tell you one of his most famous covers, you know, the Devo cover with the hats, the really funky looking hats. If you guys listen and Google this, Devo hats, they're very, they're, they're iconic. That was his cover. And he did a couple other ones as well. And I have some of his records because I, you know, it was just cool to, to go out and get these because I knew who designed them. He was a really funky dude. He became one of my best friends. He's an artist, really beautiful artist. And because of him, I got to go to all these things that like, you know, he was sort of well, still well known in the avant-garde scene in New York. The guy who was Johnny Depp's, you know, fashion designer, his birthday party I was at with David, you know, I mean, these were sort of C-list, but big names in this scene I got to hang out with in these really, you know, one time I went to a, a, an event that was in a sex dungeon. And, and these are the kind of things that I only got to go to because of David, right? So you're uh, going to be a reoccurring character in this <laughs> podcast, you're telling me, because I'm into the sex dungeon episode. Yeah, so David's best friend was the, uh, the head dominatrix, really amazing woman. <laughs> and uh, I got to know her. She was very kind, very sweet woman who, and, you know, here I was, this 24, 25-year-old uh, with questions about what all this meant. And, and she, of course, was more than happy to answer all my questions, which was very sweet of her. So very sweet until you pay her. That exactly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, unless that's what you want, I guess I don't really know. That's not my scene. <laughs> but David, David is like my best friend in New York. I call him up. I was like, yo, man, you know, I have to watch the Super Bowl somewhere. And he's like, I got you. Come with me. I go to this party every year. It's all my old, you know, musical friends and, and all that kind of stuff. So the party's in Brooklyn. I meet David at his place in, in lower Manhattan and we take the subway over to Brooklyn and uh, we stop at a, at a store, pick up a couple of 12 packs or whatever. And I'll, I should say, all I have on me is my phone, my little reporter's notebook and a bunch of weed, right? Because I would come coming to this party. I have to bring something, you know, here I am this compared to everybody else, pretty straight dude, you know, straight laced guy. And I gotta, I gotta have something on me. So I have a bunch of weed and we roll up to this ginormous apartment in, in Brooklyn that the, it's shared by an entire band. You know, you walk into the main room and the, the band's got their set up there and they each have their bedrooms off the, the main area. And it was fucking wild from the start. I walk in and immediately I'm like, where the fuck am I? <laughs> because, you know, you've got people doing drugs everywhere you can see, you know, uh, every different alcohol, every different apparatus to, to ingest alcohol. You know, the only sports going on, I gotta say this, are there's a dude there's two guys sitting in the corner playing madden right that's the only sports going on while the super bowl is on and so my first thought is oh shit i'm supposed to be reporting on this game how am i gonna watch this game you know so, so they, the whole, they didn't even have the game on at the super bowl party didn't so that's the thing is the super it was an ironic super bowl party uh <laughs> so david didn't tell me that part <laughs> So I'm there covering the Super Bowl and I can't watch the Super Bowl. So, it's, it's okay. It was boring anyway. Uh, that it was. That was the that was the Broncos, right? Yeah, as a Chiefs fan, I enjoyed it a lot. Over yeah. Before it started, great yeah, game. Th that was where Peyton Manning had his his moment, right? It depends on what you mean by moment. It was a bad one. But but he, that was when they won, wasn't it? No, that's when the Seahawks beat him by like forty. I think. Oh, okay. I see. Clearly, I didn't even watch it. <laughs> So 
I'm like a fish out of water, but I've got weed. So, you know, I'm using that to sort of get myself to talk to some people and, you know, mingle around the party. And of course, there's a black light, black light room and there's a bunch of people hooking up in that room. And then the other room is the band is playing in the main room. And, and this was a band that I guess was was a well-known in the punk scene. I have no idea who, who they were. I clearly stood stood out. You know, I'm I'm this dude who who was very clearly like everyone's like, who the fuck are you? What, you know, what are you what are you doing here? David disappeared to, to go do whatever the fuck he was doing <laughs> in the back. And and so I am alone in this space, really just trying to get people to smoke with me so I can talk to somebody. And that's the first half of the game is me feeling awkward as shit, but smoking with anyone that I could to to try to, you know, chat with someone. And then the halftime comes, and this is apparently a tradition at this party because they tack a sheet up to the wall, they turn on the projector, and it is the raunchiest hardcore porn. And everybody sits around and watches it as if that's the Super Bowl, you know, cheering for for different sides. There's like people acting like this was the whole ironic piece, right? So acting like this was the main attraction was this super purposefully raunchy hardcore porn. And I'm again in the background, right? I mean, and, and there's decorations for this. Like this, I knew that something was going to happen because there's like a big cutout of a guy and he's got a, you know, a dildo strap to him. So I know that something's coming and then this happens. <laughs> and, and so I'm taking this all in, clearly not in on the joke, but David told me later, this is a thing they'd done every year and like teams pick sides, you know, before our pick teams. I mean, like, you know, who was going to be on team, whatever, before each of the, each of the games. And that was their Super Bowl. I was, I was going to ask. So like prop betting and betting is a big part of the Super Bowl. Was there actually betting for each <laughs> side or were they just rooting? Like you over know, on time, maybe? That's a great question. I don't remember betting. I just remember purposefully, like, mimicking football cheers. You know, like, people intentionally making it sound like they were cheering for the game when in fact they were <laughs> cheering for this hardcore, really raunchy pornography <laughs> that was that was going on. And it wasn't – I, I want to make this abundantly clear. There was nothing sexual about any of this. It was so ludicrous and so, so over, over the top. It was non-sexual in any way. It was hilarious. And people were really enjoying this clearly tradition at this point of cheering like they were watching a sporting event uh, for hardcore pornography. Can you describe the group that was there? Was it, like, predominantly male? Was it a pretty even mixed group? What was what was the group there like? Yeah, predominant. It was definitely mixed. Uh, imagine if somebody had told you they wanted you to sort of invent a, let's say, Moz Eisley cantina of punk rockers. That would be this crowd. So again, some very stereotypical, you know, a bunch of guys with big mohawks, different colors, a lot of the stud uh, decorations and jewelry, very few minorities at all, very white crowd and, and pretty evenly split. A lot of women also dress a lot of piercings. Uh, at the time, I had more piercings than I do right now. So I, that was my only way of fitting in was that clearly I wasn't the man because I had a bunch of piercings and tattoos. I will say that I did not fit in whatsoever. David did. Dave, they, this was his scene perfectly, but but I did not. Did you take any pictures that night? I did. They are no longer, you know, that's probably 15 iPhones ago. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 
but but also this was very much related to me this was very much a sort of uh what happens here stays here kind of event yeah and and, and so the the pictures i got were mostly of the band and, and stuff like that i knew i needed proof that this happened you know what i mean because just enough uh, Exactly. Yeah. Just so that I could say, hey, I went to this, you know, fake Super Bowl party that, that featured hardcore pornography in a, in a, with a punk group in Brooklyn. People like, no, you didn't. I'd be like, yes, here's the band. That's all I can show you. Those were most of my pictures. I remember there being a beer tower of like every, that was again a tradition was that you had to show up with beer, 12 pack. And so there was a huge tower built up to the ceiling because again, they were trying to sort of roast the, the football watching crowd uh, by doing this event. So nobody was really drinking the beers. It was sort of like, hey, look, you know, we have <laughs> beer like we were watching, watching the game. So after the halftime show, does it kind of wind down to that? Is there another, uh, is there a second half to this party? Is there... <laughs> So after the halftime show, I went up, I found David and I was like, look, this is fucking interesting. <laughs> also, I have to at least watch part of the Super Bowl so that I can pretend to do this article. I was like, so does anything, you know, does that come on at all? And he was like, no, you know, everybody will, will keep doing what they're doing. You know, band will keep playing and a lot of people drinking, whatever. We never put on the game, like what you saw on the sheet. That was our, our Super Bowl. I left after, like midway through the third quarter. Again, I only know this because I'm following on my phone so that at least I can talk about it when I'm trying to write this article. And I go to the nearest bar and watch maybe, you know, five, 10 minutes of the fourth quarter, just enough that I can say again that I watched it. Uh, and then I catch my subway back to where I live in, in Manhattan. And on the train, I'm like writing what I can just ambiguously enough to make it sound like, okay, I watched this game going off of what I was reading on, you know, social media, what I was reading on the ESPN app, all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, if there was a fumble, you know, I could be like, yeah, when that fumble happened, you know, really turn the tide of the game, yeah. or whatever. I had no fucking idea, but I knew that if I made it sound like I did, that was going to be good enough for this fledgling website. And it was, it, it was, it was fine. I don't think my editor ever knew that I had watched maybe five to 10 minutes of the game. Did you ever consider, I, I, Jake and I both worked for a newspaper, so we kind of have a journalism background too. And in one of my classes that I took in college, the professor was very adamant that you find a different angle on everything. <laughs> so we covered the uh, Pacquiao versus Mayweather fight, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, like, nothing we wrote was about the fight. You had to find a weird angle about it and yeah. write that way. And I went to a frat party and watched it. Like they had the, the frat had the big TV in the front yard. And I went there and just watched a bunch of strangers. And that was my angle. Did any part of you consider writing for this website? What really happened? <laughs> you know, I think it would have been a little on the nose if for this gay men's website, what I had done for the Super Bowl was watching hardcore <laughs> pornography. And, and it could have been seen as me sort of making light of, of this, considering that, you know, this guy really wanted this to be taken seriously. But what I did do is write this, you know, as a short story at one point that is unfortunately on an old computer. And I pitched it and got the response, this isn't believable. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, I get it. You know, sometimes life is unfortunately more unrealistic than what you can make up in your head. You said the people in attendance picked teams. I'm not going to ask which team won. <laughs> I'll ask which team won. You know, <laughs> I seem to remember the male winning. 
what did what did the winning team like in who the people that picked the winners what did they get did they get anything or was it just kind of for fun no it was bragging rights if i remember correctly but i do have this distinct memory of like the head of one team and the head of the other like being in front of the room like really aggressively pretending to lead their teams you know like cheering and screaming at the other one and you know it it was such a well done performance piece that if you had turned the camera in and just watched the crowd, you would have actually thought, Oh, they are watching the game. Everybody was so, so in character of this for 10 minutes, you know, roasting the sort of traditional sports watching crowd through really ironic representation that it really was well done. Uh, it, it was a, it was a well done performance. I got to imagine there's at least one of these in every city, every major city in the country. You know, I hope so. Uh, It may be just a New York thing because it is a very Brooklyn thing. Yeah. Uh, It would be a really cool thing to find again and be like, so I did this when the Super Bowl was in this city while supposed to be reporting on that that Super Bowl. Uh, You could have saved that website if you had written this story. I probably could have. Unfortunately, the, the guy was a little out over his skis and he hired the full staff before having funding in place and never got the funding. So uh, none of us ever got paid the website. I don't even know if it ever got up because I was, as the writer was submitting it to him and who knows whatever happened with that, with those stories, but I was able to use it to get other opportunities. And so, you know, it was, it was still a good opportunity. And like I said, I got to have credentials to go into Super Bowl village, Super Bowl village when the New York, when it was in New York and, and, that's a, yeah. an experience I wouldn't have been able to, to do without this website. That's pretty neat all on its own. Just not a lot of people are going to be in that Super Bowl village ever. Yeah. Um, yeah and you guys know from, from having opportunities to get credentials that mm-hmm. just having them gets you into things that otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that opportunity. And so, you know, I definitely milked that every opportunity I had, especially as a food critic, be able to say, hey, I'm writing for, for New York Minute and, you know, can I try something as rank, whatever, because you just got to shoot your shot, right? Yeah, food especially. Like, hey, that drink looks good. Can I try that? (laughs) I'm going to think of a million questions on this one. Uh, (laughs) Definitely a wild story. Can you give us an example of some of the cheers? (laughs) So I, I don't remember the exact words, but what I do remember laughing about is that imagine a high school cheerleading squad was leading so they were very sort of 1960s or 1970s rudimentary you know rah rah kind of cheers but just replacing football or sports terms at all with you know words about penetration and 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 different sex acts penetration works for both that's true that is true you can penetrate the defense I, i i i agree but you know they they did their homework i will say this this was clearly not an off the cup an off, off the cuff thing they very clearly had done their homework and written some cheers up these were not inventive at the moment that's pretty amazing the dedication that they have for that and i hope it's still going i'm sure it is uh, i do hope it evolves a little bit they gotta change up at least a little beach here i wonder like they obviously if they're if they're picking teams they obviously have a different halftime show each year how do they go through the process of selecting that like i just there's there's so many things that it's just 
There's so many questions. Uh, I do know that they, at this group, at least, they did this every year at the same apartment, uh, the same band's place was leading it. So my understanding was this group, and it was a it's a big group. I mean, there's probably at least 30, 40, maybe even 50 people there. Uh, this wasn't a small party. And, and, and my understanding is this sort of revolves around this band. So it's definitely possible that the band themselves did this. Although I, I seem to remember um, the band not being the, the cheerleader. So it's definitely possible that they sort of delegate to some of their followers. Yeah, perhaps they just spend the other 364 days of the year just going through the candidates and eventually yeah. picking the winning video. And you know, the research on that would, would be uh, a little off for me because, like I said, there was nothing sexy about this porn. This was yeah. really gratuitous, like, over-the-top hardcore porn. You know, no, no kink shaming here, but, you know, there are healthier ways to enjoy pornography. And football. There's... <laughs> <laughs> and football. <laughs> well, Jake, do you have any more questions? I See, I know I'm going to just think of a bunch. Mm -hmm. This is just so unbelievable. It's unbelievable, but also definitely believable at the same yeah. time. Like, I believe every part of this. That sounds like something that crazy people would do. Yeah, you know, it, it's the thing is in New York, you can find anything you want to find. There is a community mm -hmm. for everybody. And I was just really lucky to get tapped into this. And, and like I said, I didn't really get to know too many people in that community. I was only in New York for eight months, but I did get to know David and who, who is an amazing person and his friend uh, who was the dominatrix, again, a really kind person. If they are an encapsulation of the rest of the community, I can only imagine when something like the Super Bowl party isn't going on that they're all very lovely people mm -hmm. that I was really lucky to 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 meet. And you know, there there's definitely sort of a little bit of that jealousy in terms of if it's almost impossible to imagine someone feeling without a community in New York if they look hard enough because there really is something for everybody. And sometimes you just need to step out of your comfort zone and try something new. That's right. And, and again, you can find it if you just look around, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I met David this way without not a different time. A friend and I were looking for a place to get a drink and we looked on Google maps and there was, you know, something, something swingers bar. And we looked at each other and we're like, do you want to do this? And she was like, let's go check it out. So we went in and we ended up having a really wonderful night talking to people and, and trying drinks at a swingers bar. And, and these are the kind of things that you can find in New York if you, if you just look around. And a lot of places too. I mean, Iowa City, I went to school at the University of Iowa. I went to the gay bar once, just, you know, let's see what's here. And I'm a straight male, but I had a great time there. There's yep. a lot of fun people, a lot of, it was really a friendly environment. $1 tequila shots, a little, little aggressive there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of little things that come up and a lot of people just naturally say no to those things. So they're not used to them, not comfortable with them. That's but right. My message here would be give it a shot. That's Try right. It. If it if it sucks and you hate every second of it, well, you know that now. And so you know that now, and you and and you have no idea what you may like unless you unless you give it a shot. This is the Jay Schiffman with the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Go get a listen. Important messages. Thank you. And no, and no matter what your situation demographic is, go give it a listen. It'll you know, open your eyes, different perspectives. It's important for everybody to hear. Let me piggyback on that because there's something I say whenever I do an interview. I say this on my podcast all the time. 
whatever your situation, reach out. You know, I started this by talking about why stigma is so terrible and what it, what it does to hold people back. We have decided as a community that the, the era of letting stigma cause people to suffer alone is over because we're deciding it's over. If you hear this and you need someone to talk to, I guarantee you there's somebody in your life who will listen. But if not, you can find me on social media. You can find me on my website, jshiftman.com. I make it that easy for you to come find me. Reach out. We have a saying in this, in this work that we'd rather spend two hours talking to you today than two hours at your funeral tomorrow. So reach Absolutely. out. Somebody will be there, whether it's one of these incredible co-hosts, Steven or Jake, uh, myself, you know, someone will listen to you because you don't have to suffer alone. Absolutely. I want to echo those thoughts. If you want to reach out to me, that's fine. I'm sure Jake open. Definitely. That's, that's J A Y S H I F M A N.com. That's right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again, Jay. Really important message. I, I definitely enjoyed the story, but that message right at the beginning and at the end there, I mean, it's, in, it's really, I, mean, I, I can't think of the words as I'm sitting over here stuttering. It's just a fantastic job. It, I mean, it's a great, great thing for people. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, it's okay that you can't think of the words we say in this line of work that we are comfortable enough in our darkness that will help you sit with yours. So that's, uh, that's, that's what I do. That's what people like me, what we do is that if you can't think of the right way to say it, it's okay. I guarantee you, you will not be the first person to say whatever you're thinking to me, because I've heard it all. I felt it all. I've, I've done a lot of it, unfortunately, the good and the bad, just reach out. Someone, someone will be there. Definitely. Jake, Jay. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you everybody out there for listening. Uh, give us a rating, subscribe, follow us on social media. If you want to be a guest, reach out. Anyone can. Jay and I didn't know each other before a couple days ago. And now we're best friends. And now we are the best friends. <laughs> Thank you everybody for listening. Bye.